man, I, 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 you know, I've got it in my profile on LinkedIn. If you want advice, mentorship, contact me. It's free. I will make time for you. Uh, I, I'm involved in, you know, I've been involved in nonprofits for uh, 10 years now. I was blessed to be a part of uh, Trigger's Toys with my uh, college buddy, Brian Townsend, who is, in, if you don't know him and his organization, look him up. They're absolutely amazing organization. Amazing dude. Uh, worked uh, a little bit in um, prison education. Uh, didn't work that very long because it was just demands were too much for me. It was, you know, too long drives. So I couldn't, I, I was traveling internationally. But now I'm a part of an organization called Redeemed Ministries. Um, you, know, you know, it's it's a tough subject, but uh, it's it's involved in the stopping of sexual and human trafficking. It's a so, tough subject, but it's not a not a not hot topic. Let's put it, it that is, way. There should be more conversations about this. It should be a. It's the. It's about to become the second largest illegal industry in the world. It's about to pass up. Uh, illegal arms it's about to pass it's about to be second to only drugs personal level connecting with people to people and for people Um, my next guest the one and only jeff peoples Um, he's got an amazing story and i can't wait to hear all about it Um, jeff i know your formal title that i've looked up so far is freelance writer podcast host, podcaster, expert in safety, manufacturing products. Um, I even added some things to my own, world traveler, connoisseur of knowledge, um, history, and I would even give you the name, The Professor. So with, <laughs> with that said, Jeff, you know, welcome to the show and, Thank you. and introduce yourself for us. My, uh, my niece, uh, not, well, my niece calls me Indiana Jones, Uncle Indiana Jones, uh, because I go to the crazy places. But, uh, but yeah, the, the podcast uh, writing stuff is not former. That's, that's definitely current, what, I'm, what I do currently. It's one, it's one of the things I do. And, uh, you know, a couple of projects I've been working on for the last year, I would say, to be quite honest. Um, it's um, all part of a, a media organization called Amada Media. Uh, Amada Media is put my two nieces names together emory and ada so uh it made a media and under that is the um the mission zero podcast which is a uh, industry uh, based podcast uh safety and environmental and also the bsg subject uh environmental social governance uh that's a big thing in companies um and what if it didn't happen podcast which is a history podcast um and also uh my writings which i write at substack under the practical pragmatist so yeah, all uh, all I guess we'd say media type things, but uh, takes us some time. But I, I was reading about history anyway. I was studying history anyway, so why not put it to some some sharing use? Totally, totally. And, and I, I actually said formal introduction. Oh, okay. Formal. So <laughs> <a> formal. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's actually what you're doing right now. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So let me ask you, Jeff. You know. How'd you get into this media stuff? Uh, well, I, I in my past company, um, um, I had shared an office with some people that uh, were doing some media work, doing some podcast work. I got to learn firsthand how how important um, in now when attaching media to your to your business, uh, your business needs some it needs a social media uh, aspect. It needs it, it you know it sets you up you know as a as a 
subject matter expert. It helps you get to know people in the industry. It helps you to advertise you yourself. It helps distinguish yourself as a subject matter expert. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, podcasts are almost free advertising uh, for you and your guests, right? And so uh, I, I, I chose that as a subject matter expert. I've always wanted to be a writer uh, when it comes to the practical pragmatist. Uh, writing has always been a passion. I've had uh, an idea for a novel for about a decade now. Uh, and I've been working on that slowly. Uh, but what I wanted to do here was more long. The Practical Pragmatist is more long form writing. It's not um, article writing. It's, it's, it, dive, it takes pretty deep dives into subjects. Um, you know, I've, I've um, I dove into a little bit after my hero Colin Powell died. I wrote an article on that. And I've written articles on school shootings and uh, uh, being mindful and thankful. And uh, right now I'm working on one about talking, uh, you know, uh, talking more, being more conversational, getting deeper with people, as opposed to just having all surface level conversations as something we need in society. And uh, the third one is just for damn fun, man. Um, the third one, uh, you know, I was doing a podcast. I listened to a ton of podcasts. Uh, I read history hours and hours every week. And I find I was sitting there going, what if I did a history podcast? And uh, <clears throat> what would I do it as? Just doing a, a standard history podcast. I'm not going to compete with Dan Carlin, if you've ever heard of him. He's the uh, hardcore history number one history podcast in the world. It is fantastic stuff. But if you're not into history, you, it is going to be a snooze fest for you. If you are into history, it's going to be invigorating. But uh, but I decided like, okay, I, number one, I want to take the micro approach, meaning a little bit short, a lot shorter and more effective. So 20 to 30 minutes is where I'm looking for my podcast. But I wanted to take something in particular there and focus in on. And what I'm focusing in on is Picking small, and this has always interested me personally, picking small little tiny events that change world history. Like, I mean, the smallest thing. I don't, and so my first one is called the uh, the stoned oracle who saved democracy. And uh, it's essentially talking about the Battle of Thermopylae and Leonidas, which we, we all know from 300, right? The movie 300, but you don't know the details. And Leonidas only went there because a oracle told him that either Sparta would fall or he would die. And he knows if he goes there to beat the Persians at the gap at Thermopylae, he would die. So he went there to save his country only because this stoned oracle, and I say stoned because and a lot of people don't know, the oracles in ancient Greek were all LSD'd out. They were using drugs and different things, and that's how they came up with their mysticism. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't known as they didn't know that like people in the day didn't know that, but now we do know that like, right. That's how they came up with these crazy ideas. But, but that's that small little event of that person, the, the stoned girl telling Leonidas this, this prophecy um, led to democracy being saved and wow. the Western civilization being saved. So it's uh it's a small little event. And I think I find that very interesting. Uh, the next one's going to be on the son of Genghis Khan and uh how his drunkenness saved europe oh, so, uh, oh that's interesting and it's true so it's, it's going to be cool but that's that's how i got into the media um i love it it's just basically my entire made a media is almost an entirely passion project almost except for mission zero which is you know obviously industry and work related as well yeah so speaking of history you know jeff 
uh, you know, how'd you get into all this stuff? Let's, let's go back to, you know, where are you from? Well, uh, originally grew up in very rural Georgia. Um, uh, I mean, I would, I would name you the place, but really, uh, it's, you would never hear this place called, uh, Elberton, Georgia, specifically Dewey Rose. Uh, that's our first, that's our closest post office. Uh, the only, only person, only two people famous from there were, uh, Meriwether Lewis of Lewis and Clark. He grew up there and then now all the way to Miko Hardman in the NFL, uh, who I played, I grew up and played with his father uh, and uncle. And, um, but uh, went to uh, Georgia Southern University um, um, for a couple of years, uh, met a girl, followed her to Texas Tech University and that worked out swimmingly. Because uh, following someone from state to state always, always works out. But uh, I don't regret it at all. Uh, tons of my lifelong friends uh, are from there. Uh, you mean, met a true love in Texas Tech, right? Oh, I did, man. Well, the state of Texas, <laughs> you know, and I, I state of Texas. And, and, you know, I love I love Georgia and I'm proud I'm, I grew up there. I go back. It still has that feeling of home uh that you go back to but texas is it for me because it just fit it just it fit me perfectly well and um you know it's it, 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 you know things happen for a reason and I'm, and I'm i'm glad all that happened because you know about two years ago chris i've passed uh living more of my life in texas than georgia mm. so I'm, I'm i'm in now i'm fish i can no longer say i'm a transplant damn and i'm a texan now so i hear you i hear you so georgia southern what was that like um uh, so i had a, an incredibly tumultuous uh teenage years um you know my my dad uh took off and left us and my mom had um some um you know she had some mental health issues uh through those years and uh wasn't was in and out of an institution and really wasn't is it just home. you or do you have brothers and sisters i had a brother but he was already um my brother had already graduated high school uh or was right at the end of it um, and, and graduated. So in my, in my high school years, I was almost exclusively on my own. I lived by myself for quite a while uh, with no, and nobody even knew it because um, it was just, no one would have guessed it, I guess. But uh, you know, at the time you don't know what's normal and what's not, but, uh, but yeah, so I went to, uh, I did my best to get into a college. Uh, I was, extremely lucky that my best friend's mother was the high school guidance counselor. Uh, and if people from big high schools or big schools don't know, in small towns, the guidance counselor is God and every Buddha and Jesus and everybody else. Um, so uh, she helped me to apply for colleges and get into Georgia Southern University, which, you know, I had a very poor academic profile. I was I graduated high school towards the bottom of my class. I did poorly on the SAT because I did not give a damn. Um, I went to, but I, but during my junior, between my junior and senior in high school, I went to, I joined the Army Reserve um, and went to basic training and became extremely disciplined and my life flipped. I became a, a, uh, a doer, a goal accomplisher. And uh, so my mission was to catch up on education. Um, so I killed myself in college. I did not drink. Uh, I, I didn't have a, a, one drink of alcohol at Georgia Southern University. I went to bed every day. I worked my job and then I studied and that was it. Well, I graduated. I finished two years at Georgia Southern with a 4.0 GPA. Wow. Uh, after, after graduating high school with a 2.6, I think. 
And uh, so I went to uh, Georgia Southern, graduated, met, met the girl, and then applied to college. I actually applied and was accepted to A&M. Uh, I, I chose Texas Tech at the time, a weird reason. Texas Tech was the first college to offer Mandarin as a language. And I wanted to study Mandarin because I foresaw China becoming important. Slap my, pat myself on the back. I was, you know, this was 1996 or seven. This was 1997. So um, <clears throat> now A&M is full, fully degreed in Mandarin, but back then they weren't. But I uh, went to, uh, uh, and, that's how, and that's how I got to Texas Tech. George Southern was a, you know, to give it a Texas comparison, it was like a Texas State or Sam Houston level school. Uh, we actually played them in football. Sam Houston, but, um, but yeah, it's that, it's that level of school, but I wanted the big college experience. I wanted to go to big football games and big basketball games and, and go to school with 20,000 people as opposed to six or 7,000 people. But um, I, I, lo I love Georgia Southern. I had some really great professors there, so I, I, I love my time there. Yeah, I find it fascinating that you had to go all the way to West Texas to learn Mandarin. Oh, no shit. And it's, it's funny, man. Uh, you know, everybody laughed like at the time everybody was, you know, I would tell them what my, you know, what am I studying? What language am I studying? So I was there at the time where international business went from business degree with international emphasis to international business degree. And with that international business degree, you had to have, I think, five classes of a foreign language, which made it a minor. Uh, and so we all took those classes. We, we all had to have a class and we were the first class to graduate when I was thinking there was like six of us because it was two years in, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it had a great program. Uh, the guy teaching me from Shanghai was extremely good. He was extremely detail oriented. Now people ask me, can I still speak it? I'm like, yeah, it's been 1999 was my last class. And, uh, I, I can still, I can still impress an old Chinese person, but that's about it. I yeah. I don't conduct business, uh, you know, as much as business as I've done in China. I, I cannot conduct business in Mandarin, but I can pleasantries, questions. You know, so, so do you think that this um, avenue of going down to Mandarin really kind of maybe sparked some of the history piece of you? I'm trying to wonder when that history piece came up in you. My, that history I was born with. Uh, ah. I, I had it from the time I was a little kid, man. It, it has never left me. Um, you know, we, we were very poor growing up and, um, that was, you know, this was the eighties and somebody came by our, our house selling encyclopedias and some of the younger people are going to be blown away by, by that if they listen to this podcast, but, uh, you're selling encyclopedias, right. And, uh, in that, in those encyclopedias, there was an entire section that was probably 50 pages long on us history. And I started looking at it and I was begging my dad to buy it. It was like $260. And that was just not a possibility for my dad. And people, again, that's, that's, that's being poor. That's and, a lot of uh, money though back then. It's a lot of money to just shell out for some encyclopedias. And uh, so um, the guy's walking out the door and uh, he turns around and he goes, you know, we can do this in six months installments, six month payment plan. You just write the checks out every month and post date them. And we can do that. My dad went, okay. And I wore that damn encyclopedia out. I wore it completely out. Chris, buddy, you're going to laugh, but I, I had memorized the presidents in order. 
I can, I can name you every present in order. And I can't, I can do that in the fourth grade and I can't do that now. Wow. <laughs> it's, but uh, my history, my, my, my love of history has always been there. Um, my dad shared that interest. So at, you know, it probably spurred a little bit from there, but uh, now I'm a full, uh, I'm not a history lover. I'm a full on psychopath now. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. I That's love hilarious. it. I love it. I'll go anywhere to see, I'll go anywhere to see something uh, that's historically significant. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that kind of, you know, breeds into the rest of your life, if you will. Mm. Um, you know, you left Texas tech. What happened next? Uh, well, I went down to South America to try my hand at archeology. span <laughs> uh, That was my first stint at that. Uh, I went down and uh, worked on a site um, um, in Bolivia, around the Bolivia-Peruvian border. Uh, it's now in a lot of alien documentaries. No one had ever heard of it before then. It was called Puma Punca. Um, it's, it's down the border. It's an, it's an interesting place. It has some incredible uh, stonework that um, is, is most people would look at the time period and think just impossible, which brings in the, the ancient alien people type people from History Channel. But, uh, you know, that's just, that's just our... Um, our ego, our um, thinking that, you know, ancient people couldn't do amazing things. They could, they could, they learn how to do things. If you, if you take a focused mind, you'd be surprised what you could do. And, but, uh, but I went down there for a while. Um, <clears throat> how long uh, were you there? Uh, about a year, about a year. And then um, I was, so you, at leave, you leave Texas tech and you're like, I, I got this Mandarin degree and uh, what else degree did you get? What was your degree? So you get this international business degree, and all of a sudden, I want to be an archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. So I went down there and dug in the dirt for for uh, quite a few months, and saw a few of the countries, and uh, as well while I was down there, did a little bit of vagabonding uh, around, and then I got uh, I was in a position where when you sign up for the reserves, you sign up for four years active plus two inactive, and I was in my inactive years, right? And I was going to sign back up for a full, because I was going to try to make it 20 years in the army, and then uh, Afghanistan, and then 9-11 uh, happened, so uh, uh, deployment happened, uh, and so I came back, did my deployment, uh, started working uh, different sales jobs for years, man, I mean, it was um, nothing, nothing to write home about, I was, I, uh, you know, I, I, I've shared this publicly on my, my Instagram, but you know, towards the, towards the end of my twenties, I uh, fell deep into depression and anxiety and let it, let it conquer me pretty well. And so I didn't really, um, there was no movement towards an end career there. There was no, you know, a lot of people had their, their vision in mind by then. I did not have my vision in mind by then. I fell into what the hell am I going to do? I became a victim of, uh, you know, paralysis by analysis worrying about missing out or not accomplishing things and never actually starting anything. Um, you know, so uh, eventually got into uh, working for an oil company that made finished products like uh, hydraulic oils and motor oils and things like that. And uh, learned an incredible amount from the guy that ran that company. That was called North American Lubricants. Um, I was out on the West Coast and that's when I became kind of out of my eight or 10 year funk what I would call the, 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 the depression years um, and started to ascend. And uh, I got, a, I got a job there and then a similar company hired me, called me in Texas and ordered me from a, for a bigger position 
Uh, and that's when I came back. I think that's probably around the time I met you uh, mm-hmm. when I moved to Dallas and, and started working there. It was wonderful. I met um, a mentor who was the CEO of that company who is still very much in my life. And it's, I can't, I, I, I could thank him for a lifetime for all he's taught me and done for me and it wouldn't be enough. And uh, <clears throat> from that point, um, um, he left the company. The, it was called Aurora Petroleum. Uh, he bought into a company called Ringer's Gloves, uh, safety glove company that made heavy duty safety gloves for oil field workers. And he called me up and he said, look, he goes, um, this is the company I've, I've become, I'm invested in it. I'm, I'm the CEO of it. I'm going to need an international sales director, but I need you in Houston. And I said, I'm packing as we speak. Like, <laughs> I can be, if you really want me to, I'll be there tomorrow. Like, I'll finish tonight. Like, that's how desperately I wanted to keep working for my mentor who was bringing out the best in me. And um, so I went down there. Uh, two months later, I was on a plane to Argentina. And uh, I spent six years procuring and relationships globally. Um, I worked in the oil fields and damn near everywhere there is an oil field. I've been to Alaska. I've been to the southern tip of Argentina. Uh, I've been to the depths of Russia, uh, you know, all over the Middle East, uh, just, just about Africa, uh, 11 countries in Africa now. Um, so I spent those years doing that. And of course, I would jump off vacations and excursions from those trips. Sure. Uh, I, would, I would fly into Singapore for work, but then I'd go up to Nepal and spend a week there for my vacation because at that point, Nepal becomes a very cheap trip. Yeah. So, um, so uh, that's what I did. He left. Um, uh, so a few years later, he left. I stayed with the company a few years beyond him. And then um, about five years ago, I was asked to come on board to a company called Tomahawk Safety. Uh, I helped found Tomahawk. I designed uh, all the products at Tomahawk. Um, that was the first time, my first foray into product design. So I spent years doing that, building Tomahawk. Uh, Tomahawk launched, they were just barely a year or so into it when COVID hit. And, uh, the, the management uh, were incredibly good, and but they were, uh, their entire history was medical. Like everybody in there, all of my investment team were all medical guys and they had done, uh, started and sold and built medical companies. And, uh, so now, and so Tomahawk slowly became a, a medical company. We were actually, um, we started at one point, we, I think we had 700 employees. We were making medical gowns in the United States during COVID. Uh, we were making hundreds of thousands a week and, um, we did that. Uh, and then now, uh, Tomahawk became, now it's Tomahawk Medical uh, instead of Tomahawk Safety. So I divested myself from Tomahawk, and um, and and now I'm going completely on my own with the new company, Sentinel Safety, which I've been you know working on for quite a few months now. Well, that's a it's quite the journey. Um, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but um, back when I was in college, um, my senior year, I actually left and I didn't leave, but I actually went to check out the reserves as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like, all I remember is you guys were going to give me like $7,500 and I got to give you so many weekends a month and a year. Yeah. And so um, I got a question about that. You know, what did, you know, other than the discipline piece about the army reserves, you know, where'd they take you? What'd they teach you? What, what'd you gain from that outside of just that discipline piece? Well, I mean, what you learn, you know, in the army 
in the army and it's you know there's what you learn in basic and then there's the rest of the career right it's kind of like watching full metal jacket there's the basic training and then there's the rest right and full metal jacket you learn discipline i mean excuse me basic training you learn discipline uh you learn how to work as a team you learn that uh you know everything's better if you work together you learn you get a big emphasis on that you know basic training is an entire break you down and build you back the way they want you they break you down as an individual build you back as a team and uh you know the army's the army's not free market it's not capitalism it's total communism i mean it's it's not uh it's not like that so i learned uh i learned discipline i learned work ethic um you know, I learned work ethic from my brother as well at the time who was working um, three jobs and, and just doing insane amount of work at the time and building his life uh, from nothing. And uh, but, uh, you know, the Army, you know, I think I think I'd say the discipline, uh, the work ethic, uh, teamwork, um, service, you know, mm. you know, one thing. You know, if you, if you believe in a God, if you don't, uh, it's it's a very good thing to believe you're there are things something bigger than yourself. Uh, I think people that have a lot of mental health issues believe that you are the God and and you are the biggest thing out there. There's nothing bigger than you. And I think that's where people get wrapped in their own head and get go dive deep into depression. I know that's what happened to me in my twenties, and that's how I. Dug deep, but the army helps you realize that there's something bigger than you, and that's this country. Yeah. That's the service, and just like Christianity makes you realize, or religion, period. I'm not going to just say Christianity. Realize there's something bigger than you out there, and I think that's a great way to live life. And I think uh, that's from maybe the most important thing the army the army taught me. Yeah, um, that's good. That's good. Um, uh, you mentioned a mentor. Um, mm -hmm. You know this guy obviously had a major effect on you um talk about right. like the importance of this mentor um and just kind of some things that you took away from this guy and you know how do you find a mentor as well well i didn't find this mentor the, the mentor found me um i it was a company called Work petroleum a great company uh full of great people there they're uh, they, they do uh fuel uh, lubricants and they sell to all the oil field companies all the industrial places they, and that's what they do and they hired me and offered me a job to come back. And I was extremely happy with my job. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona. I worked on the West Coast. So I was extremely happy with it. But, uh, you know, my buddy who was actually in the, who was in the Army and deployed with me told me that, hey, they're trying really hard to interview you. Give them the courtesy. Give them the courtesy. And uh, I went and interviewed with them in Houston at the time. And um, uh, I, I was, it was the first time I'd ever interviewed. And if you're older, if you're older, if you're in your thirties, maybe it happens in your twenties, but it was my first interview where I didn't need a job. Mm. That's a different thing, man. That, that is, that is a really great position to be in is interviewing without having no desperation there. Right. So I interviewed, uh, had an offer on the table that night. It was more than I would have ever asked for. Uh, it was the, the, uh, it was just a great job. It was, it was a step up and, and, responsibility and experience and pay and everything well i had not i had met very briefly the ceo at the time he came in on the interview asked two questions and that was it and uh but i got to know him at uh o'rourke at o'rourke as i was doing really well we started communicating a little bit more and uh i i told him um i got to know him in a little bit and I, so i wrote out a a new job an entire job description for a new position at o'rourke and I told him I wanted to talk to him about it. 
so I, what I did was, is I wrote out a uh, seven page job description for this job I wanted and I uh, sent it to him. And two weeks later, we talked about it. And two weeks after that, I was in that new role reporting directly to him. Uh, this guy's name's Bush Khan, um, K-A-H-N. If you, if you want to follow him on uh, LinkedIn or something, uh, he's there. Um, he is, his story is pretty incredible too, Chris. He's an English born Indian who played college football at LSU. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. He is, that's, that's really his story. It is pretty remarkable, but, uh, what, I, what can I say about him? His, um, he's actually, you know, you take all these things you hear about great leaders and, and he's certainly all of those things. Uh, he cared number one. Uh, he put you before everything else. He put you before, um, um business he put you before the bottom line uh he procured you as a person he looked for my strengths and developed those uh he was uh, supportive in every way um he he he, he saw if you were trying you were on his side like i mean he he brought out i guess i'd say put it simply he was incredible at bringing out the best in an individual That's and awesome. he and he did not do it through the whip. He did it through uh, you know, other encouragement, procure, like he would actually procure you as a person. And uh, he's been there ever since. Uh, he's been my mentor, my big brother type. Uh, anytime I need advice, he's been there. But so, he, yeah, he's been entirely important in my life and still is. He's very much in my life. And he's now an advocate for uh, he, he, he has um, he's left the big corporate world and he has his own company called Alchemy where he does um, like new age uh, manufacturing here in Houston. If you ever get the chance, he'll give you a tour. He does like all the, um, uh, what do we call 3D printing type manufacturing stuff. He's all in that. And he's a big, um, he's a big advocate. He's, he's for uh, repatri- uh, repatriation is the word, but uh, bringing manufacturing back to the United States. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, a big deal. Oh, he's a big deal into that. He's really into that. And I, and, and, and I see it, you know, and, and, and it's awesome to see. So, yeah, having a mentor, uh, man, I missed out. You know, uh, I love my dad. My dad loves me, but he was never uh, around for that. He was never down for that. And so I didn't have that. Uh, you know, my brother was more of an um, exa- example by work you know he was you know he worked his ass off so he was a great example that way and but uh but as far as having you know true mentors that's really you know that's really the difference between in a lot of cases between successful people and non-successful people is you know what were your parents was your dad a mentor was your mom a mentor or you know and, and if you're not you're way behind the you're way behind and you need somebody in life and my article about colin powell was I'm, I'm over 40 now. It's, it's time to be a mentor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we talk about heroes and everybody's looking for heroes. Everybody's looking for help. Everybody's looking for someone to pay attention to them. Ah, switch that around. If you want real growth in life, if you want real change in life, go be those things for someone else. Yeah. Go serve somebody. Go serve you know, if you want out of your own head, if you want out of depression, you know, it's so funny. And I tell people the story because it is funny. The day I realized how to get out of depression, I was at somebody's house. It was at a Christmas or I don't even know who they were, to be honest with you. But it was in the bathroom. 
yes, I was on the toilet and there was a, there was a something, one of those inspirational things that said, if you really want to feel better, if you're having a bad day, go help someone else, you know, and, and ever since then service, man, I, 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 you know, I've got it in my profile on LinkedIn. If you want advice, mentorship, contact me. It's free for me. Mm-hmm. I will make time for you. Uh, I, I'm involved in, you know, I've been involved in nonprofits for uh, 10 years now. I was blessed to be a part of uh, Trigger's Toys with my uh, college buddy, Brian Townsend, who is, an, if you don't know him and his organization, look him up. They're absolutely amazing organization. Amazing dude. Uh, worked uh, a little bit in um, prison education. Uh, didn't work that very long because it was just demands were too much for me. It was, you know, too long of drives and I couldn't, I, I was traveling internationally. But now I'm a part of an organization called Redeemed Ministries. Um, you know, you know it's, it's a tough subject, but uh, it's, it's involved in the stopping of sexual and human traffic. It's a so, tough subject, but it's not a not a not hot topic. Let's put it, it that is, way. There should be more conversations about this. It should be a it's the it's about to become the second largest illegal industry in the world. It's about to pass up. Uh, illegal arms it's about to pass and it's about to be second to only drugs it is a uh, and that's and that's probably just the parts that we know about that's what we can conjure up and figure out that's the sad part yeah and and, you know it's it's sad to just think about that's just been going on for so long yeah it's getting worse it's getting worse what is what is the redeemed ministries doing you know uh, talk about what that is and kind of how you're involved in that so redeemed you know, I got involved in it from an organization called Red M. Uh, Red M um, is led by the uh, guy named David Reed. He's the vice president of marketing and technology for NOV. So, you know, a very, very important person and name in the oil and gas industry, right? He's vice president of fourth largest oil service company in the world. And we sat down, he came in for an interview on the Mission Zero podcast, my podcast. And, um, we spent probably 30 minutes talking about oil and gas. Uh, and then we spent 15 or so minutes talking about that. And you could just feel his passion in, in that. Uh, I mean, it, it, he's a very spiritual man. He's an he's a incredible guy to hear talk. If you want to listen to the, his, it's David Reed. He's my third episode. He's, an, he's a Scottish dude, tall, imposing guy, but it's the sweetest human being you'll ever meet. But he's, he's incredibly, he and his wife both are, incredibly passionate about it. And Red M is an organization that's designed to raise money for uh, and, and bring attention to a few different nonprofits around the, the subject of human and sexual, sexual slavery, and human trafficking, right? So uh, I got to talking to him about it. And, you know, we looked at it and I thought, okay, well, how can I get involved in this? How can I help? Well, it's by the business side of it. Um, they so redeemed ministries uh is a couple uh they have an entire program okay they rescue women from this and then they take them through a two to three year process of redemption Hmm. and it is it involves everything it involves uh therapy which is by far the most needed because you know i spent I went to um, a class Saturday, last Saturday, all day long, just learning about the mental aspect of it and, and, and how 
damaged people are and how hard it is to to help them and and the tough part is that you're not going to help everybody some people are damaged beyond repair and it's just you have to live with that as being involved in this but they take you to an entire process they have a home where they live uh they begin at a certain point to slowly gain responsibilities on their own uh doing things but eventually they we want them into a vocation right we want them into taking care of themselves, a vacation for themselves and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's where I'm, that's where my job comes in now. Uh, they are now getting to the point where people are, uh, ladies are getting ready to hit the real world. I'm going out there and, and finding companies that will give them a chance. Uh, the biggest barrier, um, a lot of people don't know this, but, uh, and I didn't know this, you know, David told me this, I didn't know this. Uh, what they do is they, they force, Chris, they, Chris, they force you, it's a scam. It's a trap scam. So they'll pick a girl. Uh, they will find a vulnerable girl, a girl with a bad parenting situation, a bad home situation, and they will begin to groom her, uh, or as we, you know, as they call it, boyfriend her. Uh, they'll take a guy. He'll he'll be a handsome young man, and he'll take him out to really nice dinners and things that they had never had before. And the grooming starts. And so uh, <clears throat> once that grooming starts, and they get to a certain point. They send them out there, but they purposely get them arrested. Uh, and then they'll go bail them out. And the reason they get them arrested is now, young lady, you're 19 years old and you have a prostitution conviction in your record. Go ahead and try to get a job with a prostitution record on your record. It's incredibly difficult. So my job is to go out there and find companies and industries uh, that will give them a chance. Um, it's, it's much easier to find the nonviolent females jobs than, than it was to find violent male felons jobs, but, uh, cheers to Slumberjay. Uh, they're giving it a shot, uh, as well. Um, bless them for that. Uh, but, but it's hard to get people to do it because it is a risk on their part. It's their business. It's a risk, yeah. but, but that's what my job is going to be. I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to help them there. I'm going to help them, um, they're going to start their own business. Um, I'm going to, I'm, a, I'm advising on how them to start a business where they're, they're going to develop kind of a, um, a farmer's market almost business where you're going to have several different nonprofits come in where these ladies work on different things. And uh, I'm in the textile industry. So uh, I'm right now sorting through how I'm going to build part of my business there. I, I'm pretty sure what I'm going to do is, buy some machinery, set it up, uh, have some product finished here by them. Like in other words, bring, you, you know, bring it in almost finished, have them put so labels on and things like that here in the United States. It's to give them a life, get them into the, you know, give them into a regular life so they can, they can, you know, function in society like a normal person. Yeah. Have some ownership over something yeah. for once, you know, like, like I, I'm a human being now. Yeah. I'm part of the society. I'm taking care of myself. I don't need other people. And nobody's out to get me here. You know, I can imagine. I mean, somebody's out to get them. Uh, you know, one of the girls, um, there's a risk. There's a risk when you, we, you know, we, we talked about it and we try to keep them behind, out from behind counters because uh, there's a risk of running into an old John. Oh, wow. And, and it happened to one of them uh, a, few, a few months ago. She, uh, that situation. Oh, an old John came into her work and these people, like I said, they're, 
I, I mean, I, I hate talking about it the way I talk about it because it almost sounds like infantilizing. And but but it it, it 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 is the what it is, and you know they they're triggered very easily. They can make a lot of progress, triggered very, triggered very easily to uh, to things, and uh, they could go from all this progress just crashing back down with one terrible trigger. Yeah, I mean that's you know think about addiction in general, right? You know it's just trauma, right? It's trauma based stuff that keeps coming back up as love. Yeah, and and trauma, and it's funny you mentioned trauma. That's fantastic you did because that was a big part of our my education in this. Uh, and at our organization, we don't treat uh, we don't treat the behavior; we treat the trauma that causes it. Uh, we're looking at that because there's nothing you can do about the behavior. You want to you want to try to treat the trauma, and you know the, you know the guys the, the couple that has this organization, you know they'll tell you you'll never get rid of the trauma. The trauma is there to the end of life. You just got to figure out a way to help them deal with it. Yeah, and, and Jeff, those are big, big T's. Those aren't little T's. Those oh, are no, big no, traumas. Huge. Uh, yeah. I tell people all the time, man, if you grew up in a home with two parents in a decent neighborhood, uh, parents that paid attention to you, loved you, you are shockingly lucky because there's so many people who are behind the eight ball and stop looking down on them, damn it. I mean, because you're, 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 you were born on third base. These people were born on uh, at the batter's box with a two o count or o two o two count. You know, yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's it's amazing how bad some of these people's life situations are because you got to remember the whole point. These ladies, they were picked because they already had a bad situation. They fell into it because they they already had they were already not loved. They were already not cared for. They were already abused in a lot of cases. So these ladies have been through an entire life of just completely being crapped on by every person in their life and in trust and trauma. And, and you're right. It, it's, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult thing to make. But you know what? It happens. I mean, yeah. you know, like I tell people, I'm like, you know, I said, you realize this is Maya Angelou's story. And, and, and she went on to you know, become the poet laureate of the United States. Right. And so um, there's, it's not, it's not a death sentence. It's not a death sentence, but it, it is going to take work. It's going to take work and somebody's got to do the damn work and I'm going to do the damn work. And, and, yep. and, 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 and there's, believe me, there is a lot of wonderful people doing the damn work. I mean, it's, there, this isn't a very, this, this problem isn't a very uh, uh, seen problem. Drugs is easy to talk about you know, the, the abuse of women is not. So um, for that reason, not a lot of people get involved in it. It's tough. Right. And so I knew, I knew I could, and that's why I did. That's why I chose it. I knew I could. So if there's folks that are listening to the podcast and they're thinking, Hey, I'm a business owner. I've got some space to hire some of these people. Can they reach out to you or would they go to Red M or would you be a great place to start? They can contact me. I mean, uh, my phone number is 214-907-2373. Contact me directly. Uh, I don't have a redeemed email, but uh, jpeeps77, J-P-E-E-P-S-77 at Gmail is my personal email. They can email me there uh, for any kind of help at all. I mean, there's there's so many different uh, avenues to help in this type of work, and it needs work, and it needs help because, like I said, it's not a very uh, high-profile problem in America, but it's a big big problem and despite that like it's, yeah. it doesn't matter how much it's seen on the news it's a monster problem in america 
It is, it is, it is. And um, like I said, I, I personally don't think it's talked about enough in my, my own opinion. So yeah. um, kudos to what you're doing there. Um, okay. You um, talked about Tomahawk safety and that kind of turned into Tomahawk medical. Um, and now you're Sentinel. So, um, you know, what is Sentinel and, you know, who are you trying to connect with with Sentinel? So Sentinel safety is essentially what, you know, kind of similar to the, you know, thing I did with Tomahawk. It's, uh, you know, Tomahawk was it started with a focus on safety gloves, uh, which I knew extremely well at this point. And, and I had uh, designed the gloves and put them out there. Uh, we had great success, great companies. Sentinel Safety is, is more of a textile company. Uh, we're developing, we've developed a, a fire resistant clothing. Um, I'm, wor I'm working with a company out of, uh, out of uh, Lesotho, Africa uh, to build these products. Um, they have a method and a product that's better than anything. And uh, so far, you know, in the market, the response to the product has been unbelievable. We've got a product that's softer, breathes better and uh, fits better and lasts longer. So it's, it's kind of like I'd almost have to uh, screw up at this point uh, to have something so good into the market. So I'm going out there, I'm trying to offer a, an advanced technology, a, a better product for people in the oil field, uh, to wear, um, oil field, oil field people, uh, refineries, uh, utility companies, they all have to wear clothing that's resistant to fire resistant to arc flash, uh, which is uh, sparks and, and, and different in, in electrocutions, right? We have to, they have to be resistant to that. And so that's legal. They have to wear that. So uh, that, that's the products I'm doing. I'm just trying to build a much better one and a half. And so that's, that's what I'm looking to do. And, and we'll slowly develop um, uh, over time more and more uh, safety products. I'm working on an electrolyte powder as well right now that's uh, called Tactical um, Hydration. That'll be coming out early next year. Okay. So, uh, so for those of us that aren't in the oil and gas industry, you know, what is it exactly that they're wearing that you guys are producing? So, so they're wearing oil and gas guys. I'm sure in Texas, you've seen them. They're wearing coveralls. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's it. You just don't, they look, you know, as a parent, if, from an outsider, they don't look any different than any other coverall, but they are, they are much more expensive, uh, much thicker and they, they will burn at a several exponential rates slower than any normal textile would. And that's just, you know, exactly what it is, is to protect from flash fires, which you have all over the oil and gas industry. There's flames and things going it's to protect you, you know, and it rarely, 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 rarely happens. But it, when it does, you want somebody wearing fires and clothing to protect the body. Because usually, you know, if it's a really good one, you'll be able to put the fire out before it burns your skin. And that's really what you're going for. Um, so, if you know, and also it's going to be bigger than that. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be, uh, a total textile company. Um, uh, you know, I have F fire resistant blue jeans, um, pullover shirts, um, things like that, hoodies, things like that. Uh, that's going to be developed uh, beanies. Uh, I'm even going to have down down jackets and uh, vest, which is you know they're really popular uh, out there. So, I'm, so I'm, you're I'm just basically taking what these guys are wearing already and basically turning it into a fire resistant um, legal. Yeah. Clothing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is make fire resistant clothing as comfortable and as cool as possible. And, uh, you know, we have a product called the Zephyr. Uh, you know, we tested it at a major oil, oil company and the guy responded back. He goes, dude, it's like the air just comes straight through it. And I went, 
you don't know how happy it makes me to hear you say that because that's the entire point. I, you know, you protect people from the fire, but in the oil field, this these heavy clothing they lead in, it's 110 degrees outside. They lead to heat issues, heat stress, heat exhaustion, and sometimes heat stroke. So let's go from preventing fires. Let's also include preventing heat injuries, heat related injuries. Nice. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and so if I've got um, oil and gas, I'm a purchaser of someone out there, I can still reach out to you for these products as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the website is coming soon. I don't have the website up yet. We officially launched in, uh, in the middle of June. Um, the production is being, um, well, it's on its way already, actually. It's on a ship container. My first, uh, my first stocking of inventories is on its way. We've, we're already producing for a couple of companies um shipping direct to them i ship direct to customers um yeah they can contact me uh more than happy to do testing samples out there for anybody uh i don't need to go on a long sales pitch the feedback from their uh employees will be that and the great thing about it chris is i'm able to be competitive i'm competitive uh you know i'm not cheap but i'm competitive enough and uh, i'm close enough to where a fantastic improvement in uh, and workwear is great. It, it, is 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 worth the price. It's worth the difference. But the the big thing is, is, is in the oil industry is in every downturn in the oil and gas industry, people leave because they can't. They have families. They have children. They cannot do this roller coaster ride where they have a job for three years and then don't have a job at all for seven months. And so a lot of people left every every single downturn. People leave permanently. So. They went from having abundance of workers to, to now competing for labor. Oil companies are competing for labor now, which is a new thing for them. So having things like great PPE, which is what we call it, personal protective equipment, that got put into masks and other things, but we call it that. As, this is PPE category as well. Uh, you know, they're, they're, that's part of it. You know, I was talking to I got, yeah, another huge... Uh, uh, oil field service company and he the, the purchaser who is the you know the safety people push great stuff the purchaser tries to beat them back on price and the guy was like uh you know we got to compete for good employees now it's just something we got to offer them we got to offer them good equipment we got to we've got to take care of these employees because we no longer they're not they're not disposable they'll just go somewhere else if you don't if you don't give them good equipment and treat them well yeah, so it makes me also think from a liability standpoint, you know, hey, I can go ahead and pay a little more for this on the front end versus mm -hmm. having my guys have a heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Right. And now I've got them off work and, right. you know, now just make them comfortable from the get go. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've told people this in, in old companies and, uh, you know, trying to convince them is, look, the cost of good PPE is much cheaper than the cost of bad PPE. It's much cheaper because, you know, you got guys. I designed the glove uh, that was the, had the best fingertip protection. It took me a, forever to do it on the tip of the finger, which if you, you know, I studied safety, I studied injury reports for years. And that was the number one cause of the hand injury. Hand injuries are the number one cause of oil field related injuries. And of those, the wide majority of them are cuts are blows to the tips of the finger. Hmm. And that type of thing, yeah, you may pay a dollar or two extra for my, my glove, but that injury costs $60,000. Yeah, and you're filing claims on that, and now your premium is going up. And, and uh, you, you got the, you, the insurance thing. 
the problem, Chris, is that when you go to an old company or any company, I'm not picking on old companies, and you say, look, this is the problem. You got to, the profit centers are different. Like the, the local guy isn't worried about the insurance cost. The insurance, that's, that belongs to another employee. And then the cost of the downtime belongs to operations. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, they're in different parts of the company and nobody's putting it together. Um, the biggest oil field service company in the world did a study and they counted every single cost of an injury. And, and as an insurance guy, you'll appreciate this. Um, they, they covered the, everything that we're talking about. Like you said, the premiums, these things, um, the, the cost of not having that guy producing for a while. Yeah, right. I can't imagine that's a loss. Right. And so this was 12 years ago. The cost of a recordable injury was $215,000. And that's, that's what the cost was. That was 12 years ago. I mean, who it's obviously gone up since then. So yeah, you want to prevent injuries. You want to give your guy comfortable stuff. So, you know, um, comfortable protective stuff. I, I certainly am, I certainly put Sentinel together with that in mind. Uh, which I'm trying to build the world's most comfortable stuff, the world's most protective slash comfortable stuff you could possibly have. You know, the, the safety world is, is, is coming up and, 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 and I'm leading the charge on that to develop things that are just better than what's out there. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I'm thinking of this, like, Hey, these companies out here are already buying this stuff, Jeff, already buying it. They're already buying you it. already got this budgeted. Yeah. So yep. why not at least take a look at some of these better materials? Yeah. And, and, and it's like I said, like the guy said, you know, you're competing for employees. Uh, you think they don't pay attention to things like this. You think, um, you think that doesn't matter to them. You think they don't see it or value it. But when you when you spend some money on an employee and you get them some good equipment, they appreciate that. And that's hey, well, not to flip the script a little, but you know, you know, I'm an Aggie back here, and you know, when you have good swag, these kids notice. If you they have notice. good swag at your at your company, people are going to notice. They're going to want to go work there. It's fun. It's funny you mentioned that because that was part of the conversation. How most of the guys in the oil field are 35 and under, right? Well, these guys care about looks. They care about the brand. They care about brand and, and they care about things that uh, that look cool, which is why, you know, they're making $80,000 a year and have a $100,000 car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, you're right. It's um, uh, the swag works, um, as you know, as you can tell, you know, a, with A&M swag, they they're swagging into the number one recruiting class in America. Congrats. That's right. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I'm only a hater in joking. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I love the poking back and forth on a, on a fun level. Sure. But, uh, I love A&M. Uh, I, I, I hope they do end up winning the SEC in a title. It's about time, right? I mean, how many good teams, how many number two teams has A&M had and somehow lost to Texas Tech? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm about um, tired of the the saying for the Aggies. It's, you know, we'll just wait till next year. Yeah. Wait till next year. I mean, it's it's got to be now, C-Dub. It's got to be now, man. It's, it's it, Everything is in place. It's uh, It's got to be now. And you know you're doing right when you got Nick Saban pissed off at you. You know you're doing something right. <laughs> if he's paying, if he's paying attention to you, you're there. You're there, man. I mean, okay. so uh, good luck to you guys. I, you know, I've, I went to an Aggie game before. It is an incredible experience. I mean, these people are. I tell you the thing that, that I'll, uh, of all the things, you know, the 
what do you call it? The saw and varsity's horns off. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Is that what that is? Okay, that was incredible. But man, the stadium, and I know it's changed since I went there, but boy, you get you get a little bit of uh, vertigo. The stadium is so vertical, and you're walking down these stairs, and you're like, man, if I slip and fall, I might go 20 floors down before I get stopped. And, uh, but yeah, I loved I loved going to AM. Like I told you offline, you know, I've taken a couple of uh, archaeology classes at AM. The the Nautical Archaeology School there is incredible, man. It's, it was it was a great learning experience. Yeah, well, your Red Raider friends that are listening, they're not gonna like you. You loving on Texas AM so much. Oh, I love on everybody, man. I'm not uh I found love to be better than hate in these last 10 years or so of my life. So uh I I've I'd always respected AM. even in college, I was never one of these like these these i'd call them just straight idiots who literally take or take this way too seriously and for sure it's fun to to do the jabs and to do the the poking and 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 that's all fun and that's that's wonderful but the the people that that really do hateful and wrong things that there's no place for them and you know, when i came to texas and people were saying well texas tech is you know their fan base is horrible they're the worst you know blah 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 and i went ooh, i just came from sec country i was like texas tech would, would be in the bottom third in the sec country as far as uh, rude fan or you know rowdy fan bases go it's like you need to go to you know and i told him a story i said i saw a georgia fan throw a milkshake in the face of a pregnant woman one time oh my <laughs> i mean I'm not talking about sling it like in the movies, like throwing a glass of wine. I'm talking about this man took the whole thing and threw it at her as hard as he could. And we're sitting here going, did that really happen, man? Did, I mean, and that's how serious, you know. Yeah. One of that. my my SEC. things I think about the, the differences in the SEC and some of the Big 12 football, if you will, is, you know, Big 12 football, you're not going to get booed out of the stadium. Mm-mm. But you might get booed out of the stadium in the SEC. Oh, dude, you might get fights. You might get punched. I mean, they don't care if you're with your wife and kids. I mean, it is, uh, you know, I've always wanted to go, and I will go uh, to an Iron Bowl. I want to go to an Auburn, Alabama game. I've been to an LSU game, uh, uh, fortunately, and that is, I mean, again, there's no non-great experience in SEC football. If you can get yourself to a big SEC stadium for a night game you're in for experience i've been to obviously a few night games are where it's at oh it's where it's at uh tennessee oh unbelievable uga obviously uh fantastic even though uh i grew up a yellow jacket you know uh-huh. I, you, I grew up a yellow jacket uh you know i started the first time i pulled for georgia was when like i said my buddy's son miko started playing for georgia so i was like ah this is like family man i gotta pull for georgia and pull for him and uh, and then, um, um, you know, my dad was a Georgia Tech guy. And and, that, and now also one of my, ch- my best friends since elementary school is the team doctor for Georgia now. Oh, that's got some extra connections there. Oh, man, he, he, he's a wonderful person. And it's, it was, you know, he was so good of a person his whole life. He deserved his dream job. And he got his – it was always his dream job to be the team doctor for University of Georgia. He assumed he might get it in his 50s. He got it at 34. Wow. Oh, he's good for him. Living the damn dream, man. Married to a wonderful, beautiful woman. Got a great – I mean, he he's so he, – he's, I mean, he's just a – that was karma. He was such a good person. He deserved that. And so – but, yeah, SEC football is something to behold. And uh, 
you got to get to it. And, and uh, I think this year is it Georgia yeah, is finally playing AM, right? I think this is the year, actually. Yeah. So what yeah. Found, which Georgia's had what a couple of good recruiting classes. So it's not like Georgia sucks. No. <laughs> so. the national championship last year. Yeah, no, it's um, like it's what happens when you get a number one recruiting class. You've got high does. expectations. You got you got to win. And uh and so I, I told uh, I told my brother, and I think I think I'll check it when we get offline, but I think it's in Athens this year and then next year it's in College Station. But whichever year it is, I told my brother, I said, We're going to we're going to Aggieland. Yeah, we're going to go. go see that game because you need to see a big, big Texas thing as opposed to just the SEC. Or excuse me, not the yeah, SEC. and hopefully no, it's at night in Kyle Field, right? Oh, it doesn't get better than that. So. It doesn't get better, man. It's like that's the epitome of college football, right it there. It is, man. It's, it's the it's the you know you'll go as Georgia fans and you know not as a Texas Tech fan, so you won't get too much ribbing and you'll get the good old hospitality, right? And so yeah. and and a lot of free food. <laughs> hey listen jeff this has been great i could talk football with you the whole time but um you know there's folks out there that want to get in touch with you we'll attach your information but um you know who do you want to talk to you know if you this is your time to say hey if you're out there and you're so and so i'd love to connect with you well this is crazy i want to talk to anybody who's smart <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm a learner uh you can you don't i don't need to be a customer you don't need to be a potential customer of mine or me or yours uh if, if you want to talk anything with me i'm on linkedin contact me there i think i gave my email address out and phone number out contact me i love learning about people doing great things and that doesn't mean just business uh yeah. if, if you got some if you got a nonprofit going you want to talk about that? I'll help you with that. I'll talk to you about that. If you if you're trying to accomplish something great in life and need some advice, if, uh, if I'll talk to you about that. If you if you if you're going through depression, thinking about killing yourself, call me. I'll talk to you about that because um, I was there, you know. And 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 believe me, there there is there is an end to that tunnel. And so you know, anybody that wants to talk to me, I'll talk to them. And I want to talk to everybody. So uh, you know, but as far as business goes, anybody wearing worker clothing uh if, if, if your company has that give me a shot to, to to put you in my stuff because i think you'll like it uh yeah i think you'll prefer it and love and love it to death so yeah give me a contact for that awesome jeff well like i said this has been fun appreciate you joining the nomi network thank you for having me man i appreciate it good luck yeah man see you